0: Everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner podcast. My name is Caleb Mason, and I am so grateful that you have decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me in the Learner's Corner. And today I'm honored to be joined by Miles Lugosi and Justin Loya to talk with actually, we're going to talk with Miles about his uh, brand new book, Whistles in the Graveyard and the subtitle, or Whistles from the graveyard and the subtitle is my title the subtitle is my time behind the camera on war rage and restless youth in afghanistan and we talk about his time uh in combat camera recording all of the footage and justin was also in combat camera too and so we talked with them about their experience in the afghanistan war and everything and it's it's very raw and it's very real too. And that's what we want to do here on the podcast is we want to create a space to have those types of conversations, to engage in the types of conversations that are just difficult to have with some people are just difficult to have for many different reasons. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today, about their experiences in Afghanistan and kind of what they learned and everything as well. Now, if you have been listening for the for the podcast for a while or if you find yourself on this journey of lifelong learning please subscribe to my podcast to where i give recommendation Or not my podcast please subscribe to my podcast but also subscribe to my newsletter which i email out each week with three different things that i'm currently learning from from books to movies to tv shows to youtube videos to quotes and could be fiction or non-fiction there is no limit if you just think about it, oh man, is that something that I could learn from? The potential is that it's going to be on the list. And I send it out each week of the different things that I'm currently learning from. And all you have to do is go to the show notes and subscribe right there. Now, as I mentioned today, I'm talking with uh, Miles and Justin about Miles's book, And I just want to give you a heads up that there's, you know, there's usually not a ton of cursing on the podcast, but today that there is, and that's fine because today and really on this podcast, we want to create a place to where we can have conversations with everyone and with anyone. And some of the conversation and some of the material that we get into might be uncomfortable and that is okay. Our job, well, I guess it doesn't have to be your job. But for lifelong learners, for people who I would say are followers of Jesus, our job is to lean into the discomfort, to lean into the uncomfortable of certain things in certain situations and figure out how we can learn and how we can love other people better and learn about their experiences. And so that's what we're going to do today. So let me tell you a little bit about Miles and then we're going to jump in. Miles is the critically acclaimed director of the 2019 documentary Combat Obscura. The footage used in the documentary was obtained when he enlisted as an 18-year-old combat camera in the Marines and deployed to Afghanistan in 2011. His writing has been published by the Paris Review and Real Clear Politics, and he has authored Whistles from the Graveyard as well. And without any further wait, here is my conversation with Miles and Justin. miles and justin it is good to have you both on the learner's corner podcast today
1: thank you so much for having us um you know uh i think we're gonna have an interesting conversation uh justin you want to introduce yourself Uh, yeah
2: thank you so much for uh for inviting me in today with you both uh my name is justin loya uh former marine combat cameraman with miles um we were both deployed together in uh, 2011, 2012 to in Afghanistan.
1: And you did He did yeah. another pump in Marja in 2010?
2: Yeah, so our, our deployment uh, together uh, was my second deployment. Before then, I had gone in to, yeah, to, 2010 to uh, Marja, Afghanistan. Another, um, yeah, another off, off, off offensive operation, sorry with uh, a three, six Marine, six Marines. Three, yeah. six
1: Mafia.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. As, as some of them like to be called.
0: Yeah. I I mean, just, just as we're getting started, you know, I'd be, I'd be curious to hear um, from the both of you and miles, maybe we could start with you and Justin, then maybe you could tell us then of take me back to like what, what led you guys to joining the Marines, you know, however many years ago.
1: Well, you know, um, you're 18, you know, your brain is not fully developed yet. And um, you make decisions that uh, <laughs> don't always uh, pan out the way you think. What, what I was surprised by, and, and just to bring it back to the religion aspect, is that, you know, I w- I'm a half Jew from New York and going to South Carolina for boot camp and realizing how many uh kids were ultra religious you know super christian praying every night etc but how easily that that religious aspect could be twisted into uh you know essentially a killing force right and i think there was um a sort of as george bush put it you know a battle against you know Christianity versus Islam. I think that was a big part of it. J Dog was uh, you were more like taking ecstasy in the deserts, right? Like kind of religious type of. Did you go yeah. to church a lot?
2: <laughs> yeah, I think I, I, think I kind of uh, like you, like you said, I was eighteen, uh, making terrible decisions, so uh, I was kind of coming up with my own religion, but didn't even. Mm-hmm. But not even in the best way. Uh, I was I was raised. I'm a I'm a former Christian. I guess uh, would be the PC way to call it. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, at that time, right before I joined, um, was heavily involved with my church, with the youth group. Uh, I led small groups. I had been to a couple of mission trips, and um, I took a I took a summer kind of a summer camp, summer Christian camp where we went to uh, a couple different places and uh through that journey was uh interceding, was heavily meditating on what I was going to do after high school, it was the summer after high school. And um yeah, I mean it was a long story of, you know, plenty of family of mine in the military, but all of that jumbled in together, you know, scrambled in uh that part of my, that part of my life kind of led me at the time to believe that this is, this was God's will. This is what God wanted. Um, I needed to join the Marine Corps and, and kind of serve my country and also put myself in the, in that part of the, in that part of the echelons of my family, so to speak. Um, So that's where I was at the time when I joined. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. What were you guys hoping for whenever you joined the Marines?
1: I mean, I, you know, I think uh, you ask most kids, they say 9-11 did it, you know, uh, patriotism. I think at the the end of the day, like the root cause is you want to go be tested and you want to be put in the shit and you want to see something that you're not going to see at college. And, um... It's a, it's a way to get your man card in a lot of ways. You know? Boot camp is like finishing school for a lot of high school males. You know? They're already at that level. They already have that testosterone, the fucking hormones. And then you put them through the meat grinder, you know, the most uh, toxic, sexist, uh, you know, kill centric machine. And uh, I think, I think the greatest gift that, the, that they gave us was the gift of laughter, to be able to laugh at um, people suffering, you know, to be able to laugh at because the DIs that they, they embodied this strange, uh, they, they acted uh, like insane like mental patients to us. And they made us they
2: were, they were like
1: good. Yeah caricature of just like what a
2: leader what a uh, what an instructor military-esque like person should be that you never you never see any of them you never see anyone like them again in your military career it's it's this exaggerated exaggerated that they're just uh conditioning you to you know the way that they
1: act but they but you all kind of want it you know the 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 first thing they say at day one is look we could play by the rules we could do this by the book and not curse and not hit you and not touch you and uh, not make you eat photos of your girlfriends or uh, rub, you know, vomit all over your face. Or we could do it the way that you all want it because secretly we all wanted to be, we all wanted the hardest version of what we thought boot camp was like, because we all grew up on Full Metal Jacket you know and we didn't want to be cheated so, yeah going, going
2: back toward going back to that question of what we wanted we just wanted to be challenged we just wanted to there's also i mean there, it's it's double-sided it's it's kind of a balance of like wanting to be challenged in the in the most insane way so that at least the way i would think about it used to think about it was that so that i could Kind of have a, a sigh of relief at some point in life like be able to just kind of be at peace that i i went out at that age uh and just took on the warrior mentality took on the warrior ethos you know in a lot of in a lot of ways that's there, there's no outlet for that in today's society so you know you literally go to the one place where it's you know
1: It also comes with like a cultural currency. When you come back, you know, when you come back as a veteran, you know, you're treated differently. People look at you differently. Trauma, trauma has a kind of currency today, uh, especially for young men. Like you said, you know, like Lois said, who feel like there's no outlet. Because there's a lot of rough boys in the Marines. Some real bad boys, you know what I mean? there's some killers and uh, it's, you know, it's different from the air force. It's different from like uh, the army, even it's, uh, it's its own breed. If you join the Marines, especially if you're joining the Marine Corps infantry, you want to see you want, at least during Afghanistan, you wanted to see war. You wanted to see action. And that's a different kind of thing from, you know, someone who joins the Navy or, you know,
0: Mm -hmm. what do you think makes the marines so so different in that aspect like you were talking about
2: uh i mean i guess (laughs) yeah (laughs) i guess historically you know they're just that there needs to be a there needs to be you know a cleanup crew there needs to be Mm -hmm. um you know just the the ones that will go in with no questions asked just do what you what needs to be done i guess like just the, the history alone, you know, the, the track record of just being able to to go in, take care of a, a conflict or a situation and then get out of there. That the that the United States has had um you know, the resource to be able to like send these these men and women into to do what they have to do. So I don't know, I mean it's just a long history of yeah. of, of, of combat. It's um, also
1: you know, it's the smallest branch it, it's the youngest branch, has the youngest group of kids. They're all high school, like 90% are straight out of high school. So it's not really, it's not like a career choice, as in the Air Force, the Army. It's, uh, the boot camp is a month longer. They, uh, you know, they're allowed to do, the, the hazing is on a much different level, basically. You know, mm-hmm. um, and the culture is just different there's less women so it's mostly men um yeah first to go last to know basically like literally on our deployment we didn't know they wouldn't tell us where we were going exactly
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we were we were we were supposed to film the shit we were we were supposed to report on it and uh, you know I would try to ask the first sergeant like so so what what are we doing like what's the mission And he would just be like, you know, I could teach a fucking monkey to do your job like that. (laughs) That's how we were treated, because we were cameramen. Mm -hmm. But it was all hush hush. You know, the lower it was all, you know, these these uh, officers, these college graduates, you know, high ranking enlisted people who kind of thought that they knew what they were doing. But felt that they couldn't tell us for some reason I'm not quite sure I guess because of opsec but the whole plan didn't make sense from the beginning so I don't know what they, I don't know what they were worried about in terms of uh, opsec mm-hmm. like we literally didn't know what like what part of the country we were going we didn't know the culture of the people because Afghanistan is all a tribal. And it's all different, you know, mil you know, militias and et cetera. And yeah, basically, I, I don't know how Jay, like how would you describe the the mission? Like we just basically set up we would take over people's houses.
2: Yeah, the I mean my first deployment there in Marja, I guess the whole point was just to hit a center, a cultural center, uh, a uh, agricultural center, to kind of change um, the types of crops that they were that they were growing out there, because you know they're growing poppy. For our, for miles and and my deployment. Um, <laughs> I think something along the same lines, it just this time they needed a highway done. I mean, nah, in retrospect, they were trying um, to
1: they were trying to fix a dam that we blew up after 9-11, that the Russians there blew was a up before and now we were trying to fix it. So the whole point was to get like a 200 ton turbine up to this dam that would supply the area with electricity. But oh, if, right. when we got it, there it was the wrong turbine. So we lost, yes, we yes. lost how many guys, 12 guys, you know, n- new, you know, hundreds of casualties, uh, for, you know,
2: for a really, for a really bad logistics job.
1: Somebody fucked up.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And you can see it's, t- it's 10, 10, 11 years since our deployment. And yeah, I mean, here I am still barely even know what we were over there for, you know?
0: hmm Yeah. Talk to me about that dynamic for both of you guys of like, you're asked to, to, to do this mission. And yet there's, there's just a lot of mystery to it. Like, you don't know what, you don't know where you're at. You, you know what you're doing, but there's just a lot of like veiledness, secrecy. And it just talked to me even about like live, just living with
1: that. Uh, We were just bait. We were literally just bait. So we would take over um, an Afghan mud hut. We'd kick the family out. We'd give them some money. We'd turn their mud hut into a patrol base, you know, with guard posts and barbed wire and all that shit. And then we would uh, spend our days walking around, waiting to get blown up or shot at. That was it.
2: Yeah, you're. Uh, it was my second deployment, so at that point, I was just, I you know, I'm already a easy come, easy go kind of guy, so. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I just, it was just more of the same. It, it wasn't kind of new to me. I mean, there was some times, you know, when we first got into country, we went to a, we went to a, a base that I had helped set up my first deployment. Um, we had no idea we were going to that part of Afghanistan at all. So in getting there, I remember, you know, I remember Miles being frustrated, not, you know, having no idea what's going on. And, uh, and just being like up in arms about it as anyone would be if they didn't, you know, you know, basically have a plan as to how we're going to do our job, what we're doing our job Mm -hmm. for. Um, But at the time, I just remember being just sort of comfortable with, um, with not knowing anything, just because I, I had seen it before and uh, just sort of had, you just sort of know that, okay, there is some kind of mission statement coming. There is some kind of D-Day happening.
1: It's on D Day, right? They will hike you up.
2: a Yeah, yeah, but they're eventually going to tell you something, and then they're just going to they're just going to let you know. All right, it's starting now.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Here's the rest of your deployment. Is this is this mission this uh, this operation you're going to have to tackle? Mm-hmm.
0: How do you guys look back on your time in the Marines? Um. I know, nice easy question, right?
1: <laughs> I feel well. I mean, I mean, you go, you go first.
0: Um,
2: yeah. I mean, I I experienced probably every side of the spectrum. I guess you could experience mm-hmm. while you're in the Marine Corps. Um,
1: Cam goes everywhere.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, from seeing different sides of the Marine Corps, being able to fly around in helicopters, um, being able to drive around in in AAVs, different types of vehicles, um, experiencing different sides, different units. Um, all of that was was amazing. I mean I got you know ultimately I got kicked out of the Marine Corps. I experienced I experienced a corps marshal. Um mm-hmm. so I I spent five days in the brig at one point. Mm-hmm. Um and then I was also you know a, a guide a uh a squad leader in boot camp and a squad leader at my M.O.S. school. So I I just go back to the idea that I had when I first joined, which was just to get an experience out of life, was to walk away with something that that um, that I was proud to do while I was doing it and that I um, and that I would never take back or or regret. And so Mm
0: -hmm.
2: it's pretty uh, it's pretty uh, you know, yeah. deeper, it's probably deeper than that. But at the end of the day, I, I look back on it fondly. Like, I'm just, I'm glad that, you know, because in a lot of ways, I got lucky too. I was a combat cameraman who, who just joined just to go to war. And mm-hmm. a lot of combat cameramen, they get sent to some air station and they're taking pictures of planes taking off all day, you know. Mm-hmm. So I got, not only did I get a um, cool job, I also deployed twice in, um, offensive operations with infantry units. So in a lot of ways, I was lucky too, you know? Um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: Just grateful, I guess. I guess grateful is just the term.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I feel like I look, you know, I feel guilty for a lot of the fond memories that I have because in a lot of ways, ring, the Marine Corps is like prison. And people miss, when they get out of prison, they miss prison. Cause you had, you had your boys, like you had friends in prison, even though prison is hell. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you miss hell, but I have a aching sense of uh, guilt because it was at the expense of um, essentially innocent farmers who were just trying to do their shit, like live their lives. And we went in there and I don't know what we did, but we, we definitely did not help.
0: Why'd you guys choose compact camera? Because
2: we're hippies. We're uh, <laughs> deep down inside of
1: are just uh, aspiring filmmakers, I
2: guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, you saw Full Metal Jacket. That was it. Like, they're... yeah. So anyway, Full Metal Jacket. That's how I learned about uh, the MOS.
2: Um, I got uh, got. I got a phone call from my cousin who was in the army. Um, he found out I joined and he found out that I joined <clears throat> open contract because I just wanted to. You did open contract? Oh. Yeah, initially I was just open contract because I, I I didn't know anything about anything. I didn't know anything about the Marine Corps.
1: And they gave you the combat uh,
2: camera? Well, so I, I joined, it was it was open contract and then, you know, went home, told my family, my family told all of our family and then i got a phone call from my cousin and he said um you know what the hell are you doing joining the marine corps i hope you like chose this job or this job or this job And i said no i think i'm i don't even know what job i am and then he was even more livid and uh begged me to call the recruiter back and he just all he told me was just pick something that you like just pick something you like and i liked cameras i liked i liked uh i liked movies so I called them back and said, well, do you have this job? And they just said, yeah, I'm going to say, yeah, all right. This is going to change your date when you leave. Now you're going to boot camp at this time.
0: You know, the the other part, Miles, that you talk about in your book is you talk about being a little bit of a propagandist whenever it comes to combat camera. And I actually want to read this quote that you have in there and that I'd just love to have you and both of you can elaborate on it. Um, you know, you said our real job after all was not to show the war in Afghanistan. It was to show the goodwill and benevolence of our troops abroad. Would you mind just elaborating just a little bit more on that quote and even just some of the propaganda aspect of it?
1: Yeah. So on, on our pump, it was to show that mainly to show that, uh, the afghan army was capable of taking over after we left so it was a lot of shots you know working with it, with the afghan army uh giving candy to kids and soccer balls and volleyballs and all that shit and uh you know we built a school it got bombed 30 kids died in the blast three marines died i think four marines died including some uh some fat, right? Uh, yeah, that, yeah. That were injured. No, two of them died. Not the, yeah, the fat got injured. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but um, that that was our job to show that uh, the war was going smoothly. Um, there was they didn't want a lot of combat. You know. Mm-hmm. You couldn't show Marines smoking cigarettes. You couldn't show them cursing. You certainly couldn't show them dying. Uh, yeah, it, it was a sideshow. So we were basically we were filming this one side of the war, the fake side, right? And on the other hand, we were filming because we were Marines. We were filming, you know, them doing things like you know, smoking weed, uh, potential war crimes. Um, so it was kind of like having a split personality, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I would interview a kid and, you know, he'd say, I'd tell him, I kind of coach him what to say. And then, you know, I'd say, okay, turn off the camera, turn it back on. So what do you really think? And then they would just say that this is bullshit. The the Taliban is just going to come back when we leave. Uh, Some of them said some pretty, you know, gnarly shit. Um, And I actually went back and interviewed a lot of the guys and, you know, showed the footage of themselves back then when they were so much younger. And it was really hard, you know, because it's a different, you're a different person back then. So Combat Obscura, the documentary, is just basically all the shit that... It's combined with propaganda, but it also has all the stuff that we weren't supposed to film, but that we had mm-hmm. we had access to it that a civilian journalist wouldn't, you know?
0: Yeah. yeah. Talk to me about the not filming any, any combat, because that... Um... don't know it just seems like a little bit of a weird thing especially like you're the marines it's expected that there's going to be conflict yeah Yeah, you're you're expecting that there's going to be combat but not talk to me like maybe i don't know just your thoughts about why they why they didn't want that
1: because when we were there in 2011 it was supposed to be winding down Mm -hmm. like i said we were supposed to be transitioning out the afghan army was going to take over that kind of stuff yeah
0: so, so they're just creating this picture that it's all it's all good. There is no combat, so we can we won. Be we're down, winning, right? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. We won okay, we won. We won it Gotcha that.
1: And then within Matt within a matter of uh, as soon as we um, I don't know around twenty fifteen, whenever it was, we stopped actively like patrolling with the with the Afghan army, mm-hmm. and they were they just. They weren't a real army. They had some health, you know, they had some damn nice tracksuits, but they didn't really have a functional army. And uh, a lot of them were high most of the time. Um, We all knew that they were not going to be able to take on the Taliban. I mean, if we couldn't, we literally had uh, the most advanced killing equipment, the most advanced surveillance equipment. We had blimps in the sky that were, you know, watching the people 24 7, night vision, all that shit. And, uh, and these dudes were running around in flip flops with like World War II era rifles. And uh, and they kicked our ass, <laughs> basically. Mostly they were just playing robot, dope just waiting, right? Waiting for us to leave. the oh. shots.
2: Hiding, shooting, hiding again.
1: IEDs, yeah. And sure enough, as soon as we left, I mean, I, I was kind of blown away by how quickly... I think the Afghan army just made a deal with the Taliban. They just surrendered because they'd been getting slaughtered so badly. I mean, you got to understand how, like, entitled we were, how much, how much equipment we had in terms of, like, air support and stuff. And the Afghan army didn't have that. So once we kind of left them on their own, they were getting Vietnam casualty rates. they were getting overrun by the Taliban, their bases were getting just, you know, they were just getting massacred. And we left them out, we left them out like, hung and dry, like we just left them. And event. And of course, when we pulled out, they were like, fuck this. You know, what what are we still fighting for? Um, they're not even getting, they weren't even getting paid half the time because the government was so corrupt. All the money we were fund the two, $3 trillion that we put into the war was all getting funneled to the Taliban through the government. So like the dam we were supposed to secure, we'd pay the government, the government would pay the Taliban not to blow up the dam. If they didn't pay him enough. They kidnapped the guy who ran the dam. Um, it was a lot like Vietnam, like, you know, the, the, that bridge scene in apocalypse now where mm-hmm. they just keep having to rebuild the bridge just for, just for optics, just to show that it's still there. And the, and then the Viet Cong blow it up and then they rebuild it. They blow it up. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Justin, were you getting ready to say something?
1: Uh, yeah,
2: no, just that you, uh, it changes your perspective on, on, uh, Obviously, a lot of things, but even so, even something that here in America is, in, is kind of goes unquestioned, which is uh, just institutions, just mm-hmm. the type of manpower, the type of faith that um, that leaders and that and that, you know, the people that that they lead have to have in each other just to keep something that seems like it's eternal, like a military or or a gas company or a uh, or a hydroelectric company you just uh, you just experience how you know if people aren't behind it if, they're, if they don't buy into it it's going to break down and it's going to it's going to kind of if you're not used to seeing that or experiencing the uh, behind the scenes behind the curtain what it takes to get to run something to have something you know run on all cylinders oiled up and greased up it's not just this machine we forget that people are the ones running it. People are the ones pushing the ideas, pushing the, the ethos, and uh, they have to do so in a way to get other people to, bu- to buy into it and to believe it. And, and just the whole time we were there, you know, you have one side that is just, you know, like Miles said, the, the tip of the spear when it comes to everything in the military industrial complex has to offer trying to, and and then, and then, um, using all those, all those tools, using all those resources in front of a group, a military group that is just, uh, from a different era for, you know, to be nice about it, just not, not capable of, of even, of even just, you know, put instilling faith in their. And they're soldiers. To, well, to, yeah, they didn't
1: They didn't have a national... Like, we were trying to convince them that they had a national identity, but a lot of them didn't identify as, Af- like, Afghans, you know?
2: I was saying earlier, like, if they're, they're tr- they were more identified, they were more locked into their yeah. tribe, way to their village. You know, you're talking different dialects in one country. You know, they just... It was just... Uh, it, was tr- it was like trying to fix... Uh, trying to fix a, an oil leak with,
1: you know, tools. Super glue. Yeah. You know,
2: yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, a lot of, you know, every war in a way, including Vietnam and World War II and, and everything is uh, an experiment to a lot of extent, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, developing new weapons that eventually get recycled back onto American soil. Like you see a lot of the, the cops, wearing the same shit that we were wearing downrange, you know, like the militarization of American society, uh, the fetishization of American weaponry you see in uh, in, in, the far right, you know, um, just, uh, I mean, those blimps made it onto American soil during like the Freddie Gray protests, you know, the drones, uh, yeah every war in a way is is a type of experiment i think to test out like the new toys mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: you know w- one of the things that i'd love um to hear from both of you is like what's because of your experience in the marines what's something that you feel like that you have just a greater understanding of, about or of than maybe like the average american doesn't again it could be um just a military thing or a, a marine thing or it could just be hey because of your life experience it's this perspective or understanding that you have about life that you feel like you have uh, a better different perspective on than than most americans i would i would
1: say uh most americans think that the u.s military is a uh you know fine-tuned precise you know well-organized uh machine and once you get in you realize it's it's a bureaucracy it's a it's a it's a shit show, just like every other aspect of the government you know i mean that's yeah i think that's the basic takeaway that i got that a lot of americans don't understand i, mean, I think
2: over there i uh I mean, there's, this is a really good question because there's so many different aspects, I guess, just interpersonally, just getting mm-hmm. getting through certain challenges or, or um, deadlines or goals in your day-to-day, you could just look back on uh, to kind of push you through. Um, I mean, spiritually or maybe just, uh, just connecting with other people, just having got, been on the other side of the world, mm-hmm. not just visiting, but in, in theater of war. Um, you know, you can put yourself in other people's shoes kind of in a different way than I think than most people just because, um, you know, going over there and, and seeing Afghans or even, you know, just listening to the, the pleas and the wants of the Taliban. I uh, couldn't help some of the fir- one of the first times I was there just to think like, I mean, the, just to, to connect with them in a way that these are just farmers, you know, these are just people, mm-hmm. uh, religious people, and, you know, there's farmers and religious people in, in every country, every corner of the globe that would that would do anything that they could to to protect themselves and their family. And then, yeah,
1: so, and then you got these generals who had no clue what they were doing for 20 years and they knew it wasn't working for 20 years. Who then go on uh, CNN. And uh, act like they have some kind of uh, knowledge or authority as to what, as to how this shit works when they literally uh, spent $3 trillion on something that they knew we all knew at the end was not going to work. And I get into fight, like, sometimes I'll get into, like, if I meet an officer at a bar, sometimes I get, you know, it gets a little testy because I'm, like, especially spec ops, dudes. Like, the guys, these guys who, like, you know, they go through, they literally cost, like, millions of dollars to train these guys to do, to kill, right? And, and, uh... And they walk around with, you know, they grow beards and they don't have to wear uniforms and they think they know something that the average friend does. But at the end of the day, they're just doing the same shit we were, you know, and the the intelligence was so bad, so bad. Uh, You had drone operators watching, you know, looking for bad guys for weeks and still getting it wrong. And how many times would we get sent to the wrong house? We'd raid a house, nobody was there, no, you know, no Taliban, no nothing. These people are having, like one time we raided a a, a funeral for someone that we killed, and intelligence, the fucking drones and the, the eye in the sky were saying this is a Taliban meeting, and we roll in there, you know, guns at the ready pulling everyone out it's a funeral for the guy that we killed you know
2: yeah yeah there was never they never knew what was going on i mean at the very at at the the best way to put it is that we could tell at the time like oh maybe i guess they're just they're just guessing they're just making these intelligent Mm -hmm. guesses is what it felt like
1: you know on a good day Mm -hmm. let's bring it uh, let's bring it to ufos because you see these guys (laughs) <laughs> you see a guy you see a guy like uh, like Dave Brush, right? You know this guy? Right. Who you can tell by his face, he's he's gullible. He's a moron, right? Mm-hmm. And he's been he's been intelligent so long. And he's somebody told him something that, you know, the government has alien spacecraft in its possession. And like, he literally just buys it, you know, which is insane because he has no proof. He just heard, like, he heard someone say, "They, like, oh, yeah, yeah, we have a recovered spacecraft. And then he goes in front of Congress and makes a fucking ass out of himself because anytime they ask him, uh, do you have any, like, proof or, like, can you just, like, answer a basic question and will be, be like, I, I can't it's confidential, it's like, bro, you're a whistleblower. You're supposed to reveal confidential information, but it's always the same shit. So a lot of these Intel guys, uh, got off on thinking that they knew things, right. That they really didn't You know. Mm-hmm. And it's like kind of like a sewing circle almost, you know, spreading rumors, that kind of shit.
0: Mm -hmm. you know miles you briefly touch on it but does that tie into kind of and again you briefly allude to it but talk about january 6th too is there is that kind of the connection that you're kind of making also in the book a little bit
1: oh absolutely i mean if you look at uh the overall population of veterans i think is what uh less than five percent i think but at january 6th one out of five of the people there were veterans and guys from our unit too. That woman that got shot, she was in the Air Force. That dude with the horns, he was in the Navy. Like, yeah, yeah. When you when you when you prolong a war for that long and you lose that kind of this like you just breed so much distrust. It happened. The same shit happened after Vietnam. Huge rise in white supremacy huge rise in uh, fascism and right-wing militias and all that stuff. And uh, Afghanistan was a huge part of that, you know, because we'd basically been lying for so long. And that was our job. That was our job. We, we, we promoted the propaganda.
0: You know, the the other thing that I wanted to ask about is, uh, I, I can't remember exactly where it's in the book, but you, you have this quote and you talk about this thing of of wanting to be judged for being in the Marines while at the same time wanting to be thanked, at the same time wanting to be celebrated for it and and, and also be held accountable. Can you talk to me just a little bit more just about that dynamic? Because there there just has to be such a tension in that.
1: Yeah, I mean, Jay can speak this too. like, um, it's a really conflicted feeling because you have these, uh, you have good memories. And you're also proud that you, you made it out. You know, like I got shrapnel in my head, I was very lucky. Um, You 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 there's a kind of invincibility that you feel when you come back. It's mixed with vulnerability. But as you age, and as you get older, and, and and you know, go through college and all that shit, and you uh, you really like you really start to have a lot of regrets. So it's for me, at least, it's really conflicted, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And when people say thank you for your service, I I don't say anything back because I don't know what the fuck that means. I don't know. I like. I don't know what you're thanking me for. Pretty much, if you support the troops, but you don't support the war, then that doesn't make any sense, right? Like you should support the troops when they're doing something that is good that you support, right?
2: Yeah, I've uh, I've, I've upset uh, a friend of mine when her boyfriend meeting her boyfriend for the first time and. Uh, and he's a great guy and he's in the, he's in um, uh, uh, the fire department and said that same thing. Thank you for your service. And, and I was just sort of wanting to make that a conversation and just sort of saying, yeah, well, you know, what does that mean? And I I don't really get it. And Mm -hmm. she was upset. She said, you just say, you know, I kind of mentioned something like, I never really know what to say. And she got upset and, and just kind of barked in and said, you just say, thank you you're just supposed to say thank you and it's like okay well i guess for you guys that's that's kind of all you are asking for like maybe it's just this thing that you want something in return so you throw that out there but yeah it's I just mean, an end. it just
1: ends the dialogue yeah yeah For it just
2: wants it just, want, it just thank, needs to be this thing thank and, you
1: go away thank you go away
2: yeah but for but for us like you're like uh, like it like it talks about in the book and like miles is saying it's it's uh it's way more complicated you know it's Mm -hmm. for me coming back i mean the biggest uh the biggest feeling that a lot of guys feel it's it's part i mean it's it's in the literature for trauma is just a lot of guilt you know um the fact that we are back the fact that we're still on this planet and other guys aren't
1: um, and the afghans that that helped us you know half of them are have been beheaded and and all that and and we get to come home and and get free pancakes at IHOP and and uh, you know free college and all that stuff and uh, the real the real victims the real fucking warriors who actually fought for their land are dead most of them or just abandoned.
2: You know our future changed. Or families forever change because they're not there. I mean, tying it back into, you know, putting yourself in putting yourself in other people's shoes that you've uh, you know that you've seen around the world after you've traveled in this way. you also you also takes you to a place where you know, why it makes you question kind of everything. like why why were they born into a family in Afghanistan that was war torn? Why? why am I so lucky to be able to go down the street and order, you know, whatever kind of coffee that I want, you know, in like five minutes. It's just, uh, it's, uh, it's just more complicated than I guess anyone could ever know. And it's, and it, and it gets more and more complicated, I guess, as the years go by in a way too, you constantly, you constantly have to kind of pivot and shift with how you're dealing with your, with your stress or with your, or with your uh, either regrets or your, or your guilt. Um, some of it gets easier. And then it's just a, kind of amazing how new things pop up or, or just uh, things that didn't bother you before all of a sudden bother you. It's strange, but um, mm-hmm. but yeah, there's positivity to it too. Sometimes. I mean, I used to think it was real, I used to think it was cheesy and it was corny to kind of like, I guess, go to certain events or, or, um, or if someone wanted me to kind of like say something or talk about something even at a family thing um i used to shy away from it and i just i was in a you know darker place and it it was just not for me brandon
1: you're in el paso which is like a huge military town right right so it really does depend where you live like if you're in new york it's totally a different experience you know from being Um, yeah
2: yeah, definitely. Yeah you, could, yeah, you could be in a place where nobody, nobody wants to hear you. In the
1: yeah. Mm. Or they just look at you like you're crazy. Right. Or they ask you stupid questions like, did you kill anyone? Like, what's it like to kill somebody? You know, like, they say things like, I couldn't imagine. Well, maybe you could try to imagine. You know, I wrote a book. You could, like, read it. <laughs>
0: You know. <laughs> uh, well hey I, I got one more question that I want to ask you guys but anytime that I talk with somebody I love um, just giving in this case both of you just the opportunity to say hey is there anything regarding our conversation you know Miles regarding the book that you want to make sure that we cover before we end our conversation and again could be about the Marines could be about your experience anything like that
1: um I would just say don't join. I don't think I don't think kids should join the military till we figure out what our mission is abroad, and uh, if we're a defense force or are we a tool for chaos. Hmm. That's why every young kid I that I meet, you know, who says they want to go, you know, they want to go in the military, I'm like, do you believe in what do you believe in what you're doing, or do you just want to get that experience? right? Like, do you just want to be tested? Because you get in your man card, you getting tested at the expense of, and it's, for instance, in Afghanistan, it's some people uh, That's you know, that's, yeah. Don't join. That's...
2: <laughs> uh, I think for me, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I would just encourage people, young and old, really, that um, you know, it's not just, it's not just, uh, it's not black and white. I guess you know, one thing mm-hmm. with this thing in Ukraine uh, that surprises me is the amount of, um, the amount of republic or Democrats, excuse me, or or liberals that are just so all of a sudden gung ho about going to war, and um, I would just say, you know with everything at our disposal now, just, just do, uh, do your due diligence and make sure that you understand both sides. And then also seek out um, seek out answers and uh, possible solutions through other political parties, you know? Um, Diplomacy.
1: Basically, just get involved. Diplomacy. Get involved. At, yeah. At, yeah. At, Don't just try to bleed. Like, yeah. All we're doing is bleeding the Russian army. Um, right. And uh, yeah, like th- th- there's no diplomacy. It's just it's just um, it's just us trying to like hold on to a fading empire at this point.
2: Right, right. right. Don't I wouldn't say take one side or another. If you're patriotic, I, I would say you know, start at the bottom, and let's get let's try at least you know. To be Americans in a different and be proud of that in a different way, and just make sure that you're you have some say, or you know at least who you're putting into office with with your county or with your city, and then all the way into your state. Basically, just get involved because you know it's these it's these bigger institutions, like I was saying earlier, that are mm-hmm. keeping us in these wars. They're keeping innocent people down. It's um, a business. They're, they're 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 feeding off of the propaganda that we made they're feeding off of the the hollywood machine that that inspires people literally inspires people to go to war um i mean just just uh yeah just stay focused and keep it keep it local and know what know what you're getting yourself into and what the, who the people that you voted are what they're going to get us into also just kind of stay stay diligent in that way i guess is the only thing i would I would like to pass on. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, the last thing I want to ask you guys about is uh, trauma has come up several times in this. And I would just be curious to hear your guys' thoughts on what do you wish more people knew about trauma or what's helped you guys with yours?
1: Uh, For me, like mostly like a lot of therapy because that's all there is Mm -hmm. now. Um, You know, I think Sebastian Younger wrote a book called Tribe where he talks about, like, how uh, in different time periods they would handle uh, people coming back from battle. You know, there would be a more communal kind of um, way of, like, dealing with it and coping with it. And uh, we're all just so disconnected now that... It's, uh, especially during COVID, when COVID happened, I think a a lot of vets got, it was, it was really like, especially for me, it was really hard Um, because a lot of shit that I hadn't thought about for a while, I just had too much time to think about, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's because everyone was disconnected and we're just heading down a path of more disconnection. Uh, the military actively targets gamer kids, you know, to to work as drone operators. Um. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think. uh, Yeah, it's just community. You're gonna. I wish people would understand um, when someone's trying to like push everybody away in their life, um, you know, that in, re- in reality, what they're doing is trying, is, you know, cry- crying out for help and trying to, trying to surround, they wish they were around more people that love them.
1: Um, yeah. And a good fr- a good friend of mine said, put them to work. Like just put us to work and you know, like, cause the VA is just throwing money at us and it's basically just a bar tab. Like for us to go, you know, Cause the in the Marine Corps, alcohol, you know, alcohol is a It's like an alcoholic culture. When you get out, the VA just gives you disability money to basically keep drinking, you know. And a good friend of mine said, "Well, what do you do with that trauma? Just put, you know, put veterans to work, you know, yeah. especially in fucking Hollywood, because they haven't made a single goddamn good movie about the war in, uh, I don't know how long." Uh, but yeah, we need more, definitely need more real veteran voices, not fucking like Marcus Luttrell, these Navy SEAL fucks who think like they're in a Marvel action movie. They're all full of shit. They lie about, um, Marcus Luttrell wrote in his book that he killed 200 Taliban fighters. There's a video, the Taliban were filming them overtaking them and it was seven guys. They got their ass kicked by seven Taliban fighters. And then in his, in his book, he turns himself into fucking, uh, you know, Captain America. And then the, the Afghan that saved his life, he basically disowns. Like there's this ridiculous um, video where the Afghan is talking with Marcos Sattel and they're mistranslating what he's saying. He's based, I don't know what he's, I can't remember, like, what he's actually saying. He's like, like, um, yeah, my family's still stuck there. Like, you kind of fucked up my whole life. Uh, I saved your life. And, like, Marcus Trotter like, you're all good to go. Like, he's my brother. And they totally mistranslated it. And um, just stop fucking lying. Like, be honest, you know? Grow a pair of, grow a pair of balls. Like, own up. Like that's, that's the one thing I, I, it's the only thing that I could do in the book was just be honest. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. It's uh, it's, it's not pretty and not flashy, but you know, the story there's, there's plenty of stories of people's experiences of what it really takes to, to, you know, keep this war machine going, you know.
1: the mythology, mm-hmm. the Hollywood war machine. Hollywood military industrial complex.
0: Well, anything else on your guys' mind that you want to make sure that we mention or talk about before we wrap up?
2: I don't, I don't think so. Miles, it's
1: just showing. I'm done skis. <laughs> I, uh, well, I hey, said my I, piece, Chrissy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Hey, I, I just want to say, hey, thank you both so much for your honesty. And just thanks for the conversation as well, Miles. I know that people are going to want to pick up your book, Whistles from the Graveyard. Where's the best place for people to go to that and um, keep up with you guys?
1: Check out Walmart. You know, um, Target has a sale. <laughs> no, I mean like bookstores, you know, Amazon. Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay, cool. Well, again, hey, thank you guys so much for the conversation. And just thanks for your honesty. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having us. you can' appreciate it. One love.
0: So coming out of that conversation, I think my, my biggest takeaway from it is that whenever I'm listening to somebody and they have a completely different story than i do that they have a completely different experience than i do that one it's just incredibly important to listen to people like that because they they get us out of our bubble they get us out of our own experience and get us thinking about the world in different ways that we're not accustomed to and the other thing that i think about with this is also that sometimes it's important for us to to dig in and look at the facts for ourselves To dig in and look at the story that we're being told and determine for ourselves, is that really the story? Is that really what happened? Or is someone trying to to fool us for one reason or another? Is someone trying to, to tell us something different? And if they are, why are they trying to do that? And really digging in and thinking critically about what's happened and not necessarily taking things at face value. Doing our own homework. Doing our own research. And of course, that can mean, you know, listening to people that you disagree with. That can mean, that can mean just a ton of different things. But the importance of not giving up our ability to think for ourselves and not just going like, well, I don't want to think about that. So you hand over your ability to think for somebody else. And that's something that we've talked about so many times here on the podcast. And that's something that we're going to continue to do on the podcast as well. And so if you're up for that, if you're on this lifelong journey of learning, please subscribe to my Substack to where I give things that are making me think things that are engaging my curiosity, things that are just shaping, shaping me or things that I just think are important to pay attention to. And so three things each week, all you got to do is subscribe to my Substack, and it will come into your email each and every single week. And so with that, I think that's all that I have for today. So I do want to say thank you to Miles and Justin for being on the podcast today. And thank you to Sam Massey for creating the music for this podcast. And thank you for listening all the way to the end of the episode. My name is Caleb Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.